Welcome to our International Women's Day special episode of Take the Lead from LinkedIn Sales Solutions. I'm Grace Kerrison. I lead sales solutions in Asia Pacific. In this episode, we're focusing on the theme for International Women's Day, Break the Bias. It's under this heading, we're delving into the themes of diversity, technology, and the green economy with an award-winning tech executive. Now, the International Women's Day theme of Break the Bias aims to do just that. Eliminate bias, stereotypes, and discrimination while creating a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive world where these attributes are valued and celebrated. And in doing these things, forge women's equality. What does Break the Bias mean to you? To me, Break the Bias is a call to action to organizations, leaders, and individuals to eliminate barriers in the workplace that unfairly discriminate and create inequality. To me, break the bias means awareness, acknowledgement, and action. We all have biases, conscious and unconscious. Based on our culture, the way we are brought up, our circle of friends, and our past experiences. We will not accept that there is a lack of diversity, a lack of female candidates for any role for which we are recruiting. Breaking the limiting preconceptions of the impact and relevance that STEM has in our everyday lives. By being an upstander and not a bystander, being able to challenge biases that we see in front of us. Acknowledging it can be confronting, and that's why it's important to create a safe space to uncover, share, and address bias. Breaking the bias is about interrupting the bias in every interaction and every conversation every day. It's no longer just a woman's day agenda. So let's all come together and break the bias together every day. We've gathered a range of stories from business leaders across the Asia Pacific region to recount their experiences on International Women's Day. And with us this episode as my co-host is Carolyn Chin Perry, the digital innovation leader at PwC Singapore. CIO Magazine called Carolyn one of the leading tech executives in Asia. She's also a two-time Women in IT Award winner, Women of the Year in 2019, and Business Role Model of the Year in 2020. Carolyn, thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much, Grace, for the kind invitation to co-host. Um, I'm so pleased to be here to cover important diversity and inclusion topics that will really make a difference to breaking the bias. And it's great to celebrate this day with you. Now, Carolyn, I know that you and I have been working together at an industry level over the past few years, and I know how much digital inclusion means to you, not only as a passion, but it's only one that you speak about to clients and the industry at large. So let's start with the first segment around the case for digital inclusion. Now that pandemic has really pushed many organizations to accelerate the digital transformation journey. Um, however, not all workers are ready for the digital world. Are you able to share why the digital divide is a growing concern, especially here in the region? 
In our region in Southeast Asia, a third of the population, that's 150 million people, are without access to the digital economy. And it's a growing concern because uh, with the pandemic, you know, the end, as well as digital transformation, many organizations these days, and even socially, are moving more and more towards the digital side of things. As a result of that, we're going to see lots of underrepresented groups um, falling short in terms of getting the right uh, help to actually participate meaningfully in the digital economy. So this means that underrepresented communities, uh, may it be people who may have special needs, um, those who might be underprivileged, um, those without any schooling and so forth, are just not going to be able to be part of the very important digital economy. Um, and also, I would say that this is a concern because uh, we really just don't want to have higher levels of unemployment. We really don't want to have an increase in taxes. We don't want an increase in crime around this region. Um, and, and so, you know, there is really an urgent need to address this digital divide by being more digitally inclusive. Um, so how did this digital divide come about? Part of it is due to lack of basic literacy skills. Other times it's lack of basic digital skills. In addition to that, there's also remote locations, whereby if you look at countries such as Philippines and Indonesia, where there's, you know, lots of little islands around there, um, there's not much in the way of infrastructure to support broadband. So as a result of this, you know, people who might actually have digital skills might not be able to assess the right kind of broadband for them to participate in the digital economy. On top of that, um, especially in the world that we live in right now, where there is indeed a, a pandemic, means that these people who have not been part of this digital economy also will have a lack of access to government e-services, a lack of access to telemedicine, online groceries, and being able to support children in terms of home-based learning. If we speak about children, uh, we know that over the past 12 months, there has been varying degrees of home-based learning with regards to countries where students do have access to their own laptop and the internet, whereas there are other countries, like the Philippines as an example, where that's been really, really tough for many young people. I actually wanted to add some statistics from the World Economic Forum to the points that you raised, and specific to women and young girls, that only 21% have access to devices like smartphones, and in some countries, it's actually worse than that. It's up to 52%. And so that creates an even larger divide when it comes to gender. And Carolyn, tell me what happens if you don't do anything about this urgent issue? Well, it just means that we're going to create a much larger social divide where you have the have-nots and the haves and also, you know, really unfairness in terms of being able to seek uh, employment, being able to access the right education. Um, it means that, you know, sometimes essential services such as telemedicine and e-government services will not be able to uh, be accessible to people who probably will need it the most. So, you know, in, in that regard, I would say that there's an urgent need to actually help um, improve the digital divide and also to be very mindful about underrepresented communities. Agenda is, of course, one of them. It's about special needs. It's about people who live in remote locations. And Carolyn, we're going to be hearing from uh, a number of business leaders who, again, are personally and professionally involved in helping bridge that digital divide. Specific to organizations, PwC are doing a lot in this area, and you are leading a number of those initiatives. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? 
Yeah, sure. I'm really pleased to share a few examples. Um, one of it was um, being able to create a digital masterclass to help um, over 230 plus um, professionals who work in various charities to come up to speed on what they can actually do in the digital world. Um, this would include things like being able to understand what digital marketing is so that it can spread their brand name, the awareness for their course, and hopefully obtain more donors. Um, it's also being able to think about how you can you actually leverage things like social media to reach out to donors who you never, you know, um, never reached out to in the past. So being able to reach out to say school children or teenagers who maybe in the past may not have been your usual profile of donors and actually being able to think about micro donations, such as being able to donate part of their pocket money, whether it's a dollar a month or $5 a month towards what's a really worthy cause to help others who are in need. Um, it's also being able to help people who are underrepresented. So for example, recently, uh, we participated in a program together with a particular charity that's trying to help ex-offenders um, to come up to speed in terms of using smartphones, in terms of looking for jobs online, in terms of preparing for um, you know interviews that could be done on video conferencing and so forth. We have also paired up with another charity um, to help education provider in this particular scenario is a charity that specializes in children with special learning needs to help these education providers with understanding the world of edu tech so that's ed educational technology um, in terms of well, what is best practice in terms of uh, vendor selection so if you're going to pair up with a particular tech vendor to be able to come up with online curriculum and so forth what's some of the best practices that you need to be mindful of what's some of the pitfalls and so forth and also being able to impart uh, certain skill sets which might not be their usual profile such as design thinking to come up with being able to solve complex problems and so forth. So it's really about being able to help charities, nonprofits, as well as underrepresented communities to be able to get the right kind of digital understanding skills as well as knowledge so that they can actually have a meaningful impact in the digital economy. What amazing examples that you provided, Carolyn, around how as individuals and as organizations, we, as you said, as we can support charities, you know, nonprofit organizations and underrepresented groups to participate in the, uh, in the digital literacy programs that PwC is leading. Let's now hear from Jagdish from Tech Mahindra, along with Frank and Ruchi Anand, who are our business leaders from LinkedIn Talent Solutions. Digital literacy, when put into perspective for our organization, actually is 100% because we are an IT and a technology company. But I think where the opportunity lies is for organizations like us, individuals like you and me, to take this beyond our organization and make the society digitally literate that's where our opportunity is. India, for example, has come a long way on literacy from 15% to 73% now. But digital literacy still leaves a lot to be desired. And we know in the digital world that we are seeing every transaction, every engagement is based on the mobile handset. And therefore, digital literacy is critical for the growth of the economy. Frank Hu, head of Talent Solutions Asia, saw the sweeping changes in family circumstances through the pandemic and a key motivation for focus on bridging the digital divide. The diverse geographies in Asia give rise to different levels of economic development and create a huge digital divide amongst nations. 
For instance, during the pandemic, we see children in uh, Hong Kong and Singapore able to access to uh, digital technology as well as digital resources in their homeschooling efforts. On the other hand, developing countries find it difficult to provide resources to all their children who are homeschooled. Some have to rely on the TV network to telecast standard curriculum to all their school-going children. Such digital divide, if not properly addressed, can create huge economic as well as social problems and increase gender inequality. In LinkedIn, we are trying to help address the challenge of digital divide by helping professionals and workers to build digital skills so that they are able to be more productive while working from home and at the same time be able to live better lives. And Ruchi Anand, Head of Talent Solutions India. Low income levels, geographic restrictions and digital illiteracy is further widening the digital divide that we see today. And it's our collective responsibility to take action. At LinkedIn, we have the opportunity to work with governments like we are currently working with the state government of Andhra Pradesh along with Microsoft to upskill 160,000 students of which 50,000 are girls with digital skills to help them find the right jobs. We are working with social impact partners like Aspire for Her that works towards bringing women back into the workforce and especially women who've lost their husbands during the last few waves of COVID. They've been able to make so many women financially independent. One of the most heartening stories I recently came across was of this tribal girl who got access to digital learning thanks to our social impact partner, Fuel. They were able to help her with more STEM skills and she's landed an internship with a large organization like HCL. This is truly life-changing, not just for her, but her entire family. To achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, it's really about leaving no one behind. And we need digital literacy that doesn't discriminate. For me, it's about giving girls and women access to digital resources, knowledge, as you mentioned it, Carolyn, training and confidence to design and use them well. And we need to ensure that they're not marginalized in an increasingly digital world. Up next, we will talk about why diverse teams win and innovate more often. Wherever you're listening to Take the Lead, hit subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Two episodes in the series are available, sharing executive level insights into the changing nature of international sales and evolving sales strategies in 2022. LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network with over 800 million members engaging on the platform. And insights shared on Take the Lead come from the data and analytics available to us on LinkedIn. It's to help you make smarter decisions at work. We've included links to more information in the episode notes here or search for LinkedIn Sales Solutions on LinkedIn. Over to you, Carolyn. So Grace, when I really think about the 2008 global financial crisis, I reflect on Sir Richard Branson's statement, which is that diverse teams 
do indeed win, um, and especially when they're coming out of a crisis. So that was during the global financial crisis, and now we're in another crisis, which is really uh, the pandemic at a much larger scale. And the truth is, when you have diverse teams in senior leadership positions in particular, maybe the board or C-suite and so forth, they really are great at problem solving, uh, looking at complex problems and being able to analyze it because they have different perspectives that they bring to the table. So their ability to truly analyze deeply the, those issues and come up with pragmatic solutions can really make a difference to the organizations. When I think about the recent research that Forrester did together with LinkedIn in partnership, published along the lines of diversity drives sales success. And some of the key data points that really resonated with me is that 24% increase in customer satisfaction in the past year alone for teams that a lot of diversity within them, compared to only 17% of those who are lagging in this category. Um, on top of that, another data point is that um, it, there is much higher conversion rates, anywhere from 54% versus 26%. So clearly, it was showing through results. Diverse teams indeed really win. I'm just quite curious, Grace, you know, you're a senior female leader in Asia Pacific. You know, what are really observing in terms of the diversity and inclusion in this space? Do you see that diverse teams really truly win? Yes, they do, Carolyn. And this is a topic that I'm very passionate about. And as you said, in Asia Pacific, we are a diverse region. And you and I have had many conversations on this. First is we know that when employees feel a sense of belonging, that they can be fully themselves and are accepted, that they're more likely to engage and do their best work. Second is, I truly believe that because we do live in diverse communities, that diversity in lens, diversity in lived experiences is really important to best serve the communities we're in. And it really comes in a few parts. First is that there's a responsibility uh, of an organization that managers are invested in to make space and to make time to have conversations on what is diversity, what does inclusion mean, and what does belonging mean. And we have that here in LinkedIn. In my team, you know, we do benefit with the fact that we come from diverse backgrounds. You know, I have engineers by discipline who are actually in sales and are solving problems for us as we launch new products or new services in the market. I have worked for mostly global companies. And the one thing that I know in my role is that I can have an open conversation with my North American leaders or North American counterparts to drive awareness and education of the nuances, whether it's cultural, social, or economic, that exists here in the region, and that talent uh, can really come from anywhere. They may look differently or act differently, but it doesn't mean that they're not top talent. I've really connected with you because we have so many things in common, and I think both of us have started our careers being one of the very few females in the room in the world of technology at that point in time. I remember when I was started off my career over 20 years ago, I was a young female Asian migrant in Australia. I was without my family, uh, had no business connections, um, was still trying to figure out how 
you know, the world of tech worked in Australia and even for myself as a migrant trying to figure out all the cultural nuances which I had to learn for sometimes the hard way and other times I kind of managed to wing it. And, you know, the truth is back then there was no such thing as diversity or inclusion or anything like that. There were no initiatives in that space. And that's why, you know, I feel so passionate about this particular topic, being able to break the bias, trying to think about how best can we elevate women in International Women's Day. And Grace, you know, I'm just really curious to hear from you um, about your story and whether you can shed some light in terms of your own journey breaking that bias. Carolyn, it seems like we had the same path when it comes to our career in tech. I was living in Australia in 2000, embarking on a career in sales. And very similar to you, I was often the only female Asian in meetings and the only female Asian in sales. And to me, that was a moment of having to learn quickly and fail fast, as one would say in tech, because there weren't any other female role models to look up to at that point in time, especially someone with color. In fact, I was often mistaken as the analyst versus the account director because of my physical presence. And so I had to really prove myself really quickly that I can do sales and that I can be successful in sales. Today though, I, I really believe that where diversity, inclusion and belonging really plays is that when you feel like you're accepted, you feel like you belong, you do your best work. As a leader in this region, tapping into people's lived experiences, that diversity of lens, having diversity represented in teams is really important because it's really through that that we can best serve the communities that we're in. I totally resonate with you, Grace. Uh, when I reflect on my own team as well at uh, PwC Singapore, the Digital Innovation Office, we also have a very diverse team. In fact, um, you know, at least half of the team is female. Uh, we all come from very different countries, different cultural backgrounds, different social economic uh, backgrounds as well. And even though we are in the digital innovation space, we all have very diverse digital skills too. Um, so we've got specialists in many different areas. And, you know, when, what we really bring to the table is our ability to have many different experiences, skill sets, uh, as well as perspectives, which actually help in terms of, um, you know, problem solving, helping clients to um, address some of their challenges and also being able to have that sense of belonging as what you mentioned. I think our conversations, our problem solving, discussions are a lot richer because everyone looks at it from a different angle and I think that you know when I our team has had zero staff turnover the last two years which is pretty phenomenal given that we are in the digital space and even more because of the great resonation so clearly that sense of belonging um, is truly very important in today's world I think when people are looking at more meaningful work um, being able to bring their whole self to work being authentic um, and also a lot of those barriers that used to be there such as being able to work from home um, and people who may have special needs which might I guess be a little bit more challenging to physically come into the office all that is now all gone so if I think about the pandemic not all of it has been bad I think that it actually gives us a pathway to actually be more inclusive in the workforce. And to me Carolyn that really starts with leadership and managers within organizations Part of this is really tapping into talent pools that potentially never had the opportunity 
before. So embracing remote work, embracing hybrid, hybrid work enables you to provide that flexibility that potentially women in underrepresented groups didn't have previously. I also feel very fortunate that, again, being Asian female leader in the region that I do represent this region at a, at a global leadership level. You know, I like the fact that I can have an open conversation about the cultural nuances to be a successful leader here. Absolutely. Completely agree with you on that note. And with that, Carolyn, uh, when it comes to diverse teams winning and innovating, is it really about potential and pedigree? Let's hear from some of our senior executives across the region. Here's a story from Christine Fellows, Managing Director of NBC Universal, about her experience starting out as a young leader and the value of diverse teams. Earlier in my career as a young leader, there was pressure to act like my male peers. My other roles as a mother and caregiver were expected to be kept out of the office. Our research shows that many women in Asia feel the need to hide who they are to their male peers. Today as a leader, I'm committed to building a workplace where everyone can bring their whole selves to work. We value and celebrate diversity, and we're building a truly inclusive organization where everyone can thrive, advance, and feel equal opportunity irregardless of gender. Research shows that organizations that move beyond performative DEI measures to develop policy around diversity inclusion, demonstrate visible proof, and reinforce a culture of equality will see benefits to their business performance. Diversity correlates positively to sales success, employee engagement, and the ability to attract and retain talent. Tarani Jagatis Warren is Partner for Social Impact Consulting at Deloitte Australia and knows the value of diversity in workplaces. As a consulting partner at Deloitte, I have the privilege of serving Australia's social sector, a sector that works tirelessly to build a better Australia. To serve this sector well, and to better mirror the diversity of the communities that it serves, we too have been intentional about building a diverse team, represented by people from diverse genders, cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds, age and education. And the result is always richer. Because in our experience, diverse teams not only bring diverse skills, they bring different lived experiences and their stories to designing solutions that better meet the needs of diverse communities that we serve. Let's hear from Minu Bagla, Chief Marketing Officer of Scient, who explains why diversity in teams matter. Well, I get asked this question a lot, potential versus pedigree. And there are dime a dozen examples where we have seen that professionals are hired based on the B schools that they have gone to, the courses that they have taken, the brands that they have worked for. But I can tell you from my own experience that growth happens and success happens when there is a diversity of thought, there is a diversity of ideas, and there is diversity of perspective. And that clearly happens when there's a potential, there's a hunger to think differently. I can give you my own team's examples. I have in my team people who are ex-writers, people who are not necessarily worked in corporate, people who have come from startups, and people who are not even necessarily MBAs. 
Uh, because I believe that this practice is something that I need to start, that I need to evangelize, that I need to practice as a leader. So for me, definitely potential comes first because pedigree might get you into the organization, but potential is what's going to take you far. So that's my perspective on potential versus pedigree. The third and final segment of this episode is a conversation on gender parity and equity as our biggest opportunity to break the bias and for all of us to succeed in the green economy. Let's hear from Kylie Ahern, founder and CEO STEM Matters, on the opportunities in the green economy. The green economy presents enormous opportunities for women to launch new businesses, to reskill into new industries, or to take advances in STEM to rethink materials and products within their supply chain. Consider these six amazing women who personally inspire me. Emily Wood's Kenyan-based company, Sanovation, repurposes human poo to create an environmentally friendly alternative to charcoal and firewood. This new approach is transforming sanitation reducing pollution, saving trees, and establishing an industry that could provide 50% of solid fuel needs in Kenya. Kim Graham Nye is challenging the impact of disposable nappies or diapers on the planet. Each year, 167 billion of these one-use, unrecyclable, landfill-bound waste products are thrown away. Kim's company, G Diapers, has developed an alternative that is both totally renewable and a source of f- for fuel. I mean, that's amazing. Singaporean cell biologists Dr. Sandhya Sriram and Dr. Kai Ling co-founded Shiok Meats, a company that grows sustainably cultivated seafood by extracting a sample of cells, feeding them liquid nutrients before harvesting the meat. I'm amazed by that. Amiria Chenior co-founded Cbex, a low-cost remote-controlled irrigation system that collects real-time data over about re- weather conditions and crops water needs and directs the water to each field accordingly. It's a response to the harsh challenges farmers face in the wake of climate change. She started with four farmers on a few dozen acres and it's now used on nearly a thousand acres in Tunisia and France. And finally, Regina Honu, who leads Soronko Academy in Ghana, which equips talented young women with the technical and soft skills required to land jobs in technology as a means of reducing the gender gap in the industry. And she's trained over 20,000 to date. From the creative industries to hospitality, to farming, to manufacturing and materials design, from distribution to service provision, STEM skills can, no matter your age, help you engage in the green economy, creating a sustainable future for you, your family, and the planet. Carolyn, how much have you been hearing about the green economy? Lots, actually. So from small to medium enterprises to the large multinational clients across the industries, it's actually the latest things that everyone's talking about. I think more importantly as well, we all of a sudden have boards as well as C-suites that actually really need to report on this. So hence, it's really something that is front and center to a lot of people's minds. Um, in addition to that, uh, I'm really lucky actually that being in Singapore, we've set up the PwC Asia Pacific uh, ESG hub here. 
Well, I'd like to share a couple of data points with you, Carolyn. The global green technology and sustainability market is projected to grow from 10.2 billion in 2021 to 74.6 billion by 2030. So not only that it's important for us to solve for the challenges that we have when it comes to climate change, but it's actually also good for business and there's huge opportunities. In fact, there's been 4.5 trillion in technology innovation fund that has already flowed into ESG specific funds in the last two years. And last week, LinkedIn released its first green economy report. And I want to share some of the key callouts. First is that hiring for green talent is accelerating faster than overall hiring. In 2019, the hiring balance tipped towards green talent and that the fastest growing skills are both in mainstream and emerging roles. As an example, recruitment for sustainable fashion you know, has been growing 90% year on year over the past three to four years. And our view is that the demand for green talent will outpace supply. And this is where I see the opportunity from a talent perspective, but also an area that we need to make sure we bridge the gap. The Green Economy Report outlines that there's a green gender gap that is showing since 2015. The transition to green skills and green jobs are faster with men. And key to this is that transition varies by country and income levels. And Carolyn, that last bullet point really loops back to the digital inclusion that we spoke about. Yeah, absolutely, Grace. I mean, the truth is we can't run away from the green economy, but it's also equally as difficult to separate the green economy from technology. Um, you know, we can't do this green economy without technology. That's the truth of it. Um, from being able to have the right uh, data findings, the insights to make good decision, um, the right modeling and so forth, as well as reporting. I also think that, you know, we really need to think about this innovation in this particular space because this is a really new ground for all of us. Um, you know, and I'm really excited to hear about green tech, agri tech that's going to be more sustainable. How do we actually bring farm to fork in the most progressive manner? and so forth. And I think today we are struggling to handle both the climate change, the lack of digital skills that are readily available, as well as the right understanding and knowledge around ESG. So this whole entire green economy, I think it's something which I hope is going to be one which is inclusive, but at the same time, it's not going to come naturally without a lot of um, support from both government, education providers, as well as making sure that we all lift the underrepresented communities to actually participate very actively. Carolyn, you touched on a few things. Uh, there's a couple of areas that I do want to uh, highlight. You know, The recognition that sustainability means different things to different people. But sustainability and solving for climate change, as an example, can't be achieved without technology, without innovation. But most importantly, is you can't do that without human capital. And hence, the focus on skills and the focus on digital inclusion. Second is the notion of breaking the bias when it comes to professions and careers. STEM is an area that we've heard many times around. There's just not enough young girls or women, you know, entering STEM as a, as a profession or as a career. And to me, providing the data and the insights on the current and up and coming role in the green economy 
is a fantastic way to show a path to what is an up-and-coming and an in-demand role over the next five to ten years for many young girls and for many women to reskill now to really flourish and be successful in the uh, in the green economy. And third, as you said, is it's not about leaving anybody behind because we have the data and we have the insights. It's about government, businesses, and industry really working together to accelerate that transition of the workforce of today and the workforce of tomorrow towards the green economy. Carolyn, can you give me some examples on what PwC Singapore are doing to drive the transition towards digital inclusiveness as well as an understanding of ESG? Yeah, sure. I'm really excited to share this, actually. Part of my reason of me joining PwC was actually the true investment that they have about digital upskilling. So when I started a couple of years ago at PwC, the global chairman had committed US $2 billion to upskill our 260,000 um, staff around the world. And within PwC Singapore alone, we had committed uh, $10 million towards this endeavor. Uh, what I really love about it is it's not just about digital upskilling. It actually is about about being very inclusive in the way that we do this. So, you know, this goes beyond just client-facing consultants, even um, internal admin staff, as well as uh, my own personal assistant has been trained on things like data analytics, being able to understand what's robotics and how to use RPA. On top of that, we've also taken talent across many different business functions, um, such as tax, audit, uh, deals, M&A, as well as um, the, the risk assurance to actually bring them up to speed in terms of what does it mean to be a deep dive um, expert in terms of data analytics, uh, AI, ML, as well as robotics. Um, and on top of that, we have also made it mandatory for all staff to be able to understand the basics of ESG. So there's actually a compulsory online course for all of us to come up to speed on ESG. And I'm sure that's just the start of it. That's great, Carolyn. And by the way, from a LinkedIn perspective, we have LinkedIn learning courses available for companies to tap into to better understand what is ESG, what is sustainability, and in recognizing that this could mean different things to different people. There is a common theme across the three topics that we've discussed today, and that theme is that businesses, industry, and government really need to work together to move the needle, whether that's for digital inclusion in bridging the digital divide, whether it's gender gap and breaking the bias uh, on talent, and transitioning the workforce in an inclusive manner to the green economy. As we close off today's Take the Lead podcast celebrating International Women's Day, what do you think are some of the actions that companies and leaders should be thinking about or making across the three topics that we, that we discussed? I think it all starts first by being inclusive in every aspect, you know, from having a diverse workforce with different skill sets, experiences and backgrounds, um, to being able to be that great employer to impart skills and knowledge in the right direction, um, both in the digital space as well as in the green economy and ESG, and being very mindful about any unconscious bias as well, because I think in that journey, um, in order to be successful, we actually need to be acknowledging any unconscious bias, being able to break that bias, and then actually progress both as an organization and as well as a society. So I think being able to be really mindful of these key aspects is really critical to that journey. And as you said, Carolyn, is we need to ensure that the transitions is a just and inclusive one. 
as well as a sustainable one. Thank you, Carolyn, for joining us on this episode. And thanks for having me. Awesome um, being able to, you know, share these wonderful and important topics with you, Grace. to take the lead, hit subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Two episodes in the series are available, sharing executive level insights into the changing nature of international sales and evolving sales strategies in 2022.